Welcome to another edition of the History of Networking at the Network Collective, where we mind meld with some of the brightest minds in networking. For this episode, Tony P is with us. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. He'll do it later to discuss beer, but not that kind of beer. So grab a stack of cookies, your favorite beverage, and listen in as we discuss the history of networking. Okay, Tony. I see you have a guitar behind you, you have a beer shirt, you have a really professional looking microphone making me look jealous and everything, you know. Yep, some artifacts from guitar playing time where there was time to play guitar. When there was time to play guitar. <laughs> yeah, there was time to play guitar, there was a time in my life, you know, there was enough time to play guitar. Not recently. Before you started coding. <laughs> no, if, well, you know, it comes and goes. I have interest in coding to do and then it starts to kind of overwhelm me and you know, so since we're talking, you know, about this kind of stuff today, let's go one. What kind of beer are we having, exactly? Uh, German wheat, always. And you have the geek beer, I saw that, yeah. So, interesting. So Donald, I know Donald plays the guitar. Somehow he seems to find time to play the guitar. I think he does it while he's thinking about problems. I don't know about that. I have, I have some time in the evenings with the girls. I, I've heard, they I've play heard you play guitar. Mine refused, man. They're pretty good on the piano, but we played a couple of times. They're like, yeah, let's do it again, Dad. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, no, really, Donald, I've, I've heard you playing in the office before when I was walking around over there. So, yeah. that, was, that was your way of thinking about a problem. That was like talking Correct, to yeah. the average. I, I picked it up from Rob Colton, yeah, so, you know, yeah, and I'm not going to the office here much anymore. Oh, well, depends. Uh, but yeah, somehow, I don't know. The, the, the guitar playing times, you know, some, yeah, just too much code to write, you know, a little bit of sport and, you know, life just, family and life just takes over. Yeah, that so, would be speak, fine. so speaking of code, you've been coding beer. So um, tell us, let's go back to the beginning and let's talk about where beer came from, why, and... Um, Maybe, maybe we should, you know, I, I should start by saying, you know, um, PIM is actually not a bad technology, right? Maybe I should start saying, by saying that. So we don't beat it. So as we beat up on PIM through the rest of the, through the episode, we, people can listen to that and say, yeah, but they said PIM is not a bad technology at the very beginning. So that kind of gets you off the hook, right? So, <laughs> so, let's, so let's begin with the scaling problems in PIM. And I think this is really what drove beer from the beginning, right? Was this problem of deploying multicast on intra-domain routing space. I mean, uh, we tried tried PIM. Yeah, so uh, amount of state, um, uh, stability problems with PIM, you know, when you start to do shortcut, all kind of funky stuff. Uh, You know, joint latency. um, There was was a couple of things um, uh, driving beer uh, as a technology, yeah. Mm -hmm. And running away from MOSPF. Uh, MOSPF <laughs> never took off, right? I mean, it, it's I not clear, would it be working today? So I think Huawei had a draft which was basically MOSPF reinvented. Um, yeah. it, it may work today, uh, nevertheless. I mean, it's just an, uh, one autonomous system technology then, whereas beer is more geared towards, I would say, the core, right? Where you, you have massive amount of state if you try to aggregate the multicast from the edges. The, D, the DFZ or within an AS? Would you argue beer is more or both? Um, 
Uh, I lost your DMZ. Why DMZ? Uh, DFC, the Fab Reason Global Core. Uh, I don't differentiate that, frankly, much. Uh, uh, I see these things, you know, within the AD where you originate traditional, you know, multicast, and then when you head towards the core, some kind of service provider or anything where you basically start to run an overlay, then beer is basically the underlying replicating fabric. That's okay. more how we position it. But, you know, there's talk about beer in data centers and so on. Yeah. Uh, we build well, in a very generic way as things like MPLS, it found all kinds of uses. So we built basically something like MPLS with, with replication. And um, people are you know, harboring all, all kind of evil thoughts how they will use it in the future. All depending on, you know, will we have a Linux beer socket? Will we get cheap silicon uh, at scale and so on and so on. You know, yeah. none of this stuff is particularly predictable. Yeah. So again, let's begin from the beginning. So you started, I don't know why my mic is messed up, but there it is. All right. So you started beer because of issues in multicast replication and joins and stuff like this, or was there some other driving force behind it? Cause you talked about a replicating fabric. Was that really the, the driving idea behind it or was it more around getting around the multicast problem specifically? Um, I think it was attacking the multicast problem yet again. And, um, uh, at least when I was being pulled in, the two major drivers were um, scalability of MVPN, right? MVPN was quite a mature technology, but you just you know, couldn't scale it up in the core. Um, <clears throat> so a couple of things have been tried and beer was floating around as an idea. Uh, the other one was people who were very interested in multicast um, in terms of having something which uh, is fairly predictable, has good OAM, uh, very good, you know, uh, delay behavior. Um, the idea wasn't necessarily 100% new. There was a bunch of attempts already along those lines, Nancy Feldman, a while ago. It was just that people couldn't figure out how to make it practically work and they didn't do all the thinking necessary um, from, you know, from the algorithm side. So Stuff like that existed even, you know, somewhat similar to beer when uh, you build the router chassis. Uh, very often you have something inside that has a flavor of beer. Uh, but it was, of course, all proprietary on a small scale because it's pretty much one hop within the chassis. Um, so as, as, as many of those technologies, they are, they are now fermenting for a good amount of time. There's a bunch of drivers, there's a bunch of attempts. And then things seem to gel, which I think in this case, the technology fell out, the drivers were here, um, um, the silicon people kind of were ready to do something like that, which was you know, mildly unexpected. Um, so I don't think there are, this transition technologies don't happen um, you know, out of the blue. There's always a lot of drivers coming over years. I mean, MPLS also, it was, you know, the ATM being there, having certain properties people were looking at, but being too expensive, people becoming aware how, you know, a switching technology works, because even before um, ATM, there were proprietary te technologies, you know, frame relay was around. Uh, same kind of story, I think, you know. We, uh, so so let's back up. So let's start in the let's start in a fabric inside of a inside of a router or a switch, and let's try to explain a little bit of the problem. So 
in the old Cat 5000, for instance, you would have a single a single host or not a single a single line card receiving a packet, and it would shove it over what is effectively an Ethernet segment inside. In fact, correct. It, yeah, it, yeah, it, bus. Yeah. So th those are those are bus technologies. Yeah. Right. So there was a bus in there, and then only the line card that needed to receive it picked it up. So that was actually a form of replication because yeah. we're replicating fabric because you can actually have multiple line cards pick up that same packet, right? So that's that's a form of replication. But yeah. now that turns into the same problem Ethernet has, right? Which is yeah, um, yeah. So, so sharing it. Yeah, yeah. So you, you're basically sharing the medium and in a sense you are burning an almost amount of quite, quite expensive bandwidth. Uh, so, uh, you know, all the larger scale routers, which are really internally mostly a switching device, you know, they're cell based, they're, they're seldom packet based. Um, that is a longer discussion what happens if you run a packet oriented fabric. Um, once you go there, you basically run into the classical switching problems, right? You start to build crossbars, you run out of the size of crossbars. Once you run out of size of crossbar, how do you strip the stuff together? And uh, it starts to look something like a claw, you know, um, mm. maybe something along the, the lines of a, of a banyan or of a butterfly. Um, all these things are right. the 50s, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's all the same. Uh, bandwidth versus how much you pay for it um, and how much do you need kind of thing. So uh, very often those, those routers, you know, this uh, high speed switching devices, if you want, I'll buy the DN, you have packet in, packets out. Um, internally, you know, look like some claw variations, this kind of things, uh, no, slightly similar to what the data center switching fabrics are replicating. And then if you have to end up with the same information on multiple cards, and it's not even multicast, you have all kind of interesting states that you replicate across a, a fabric if you build things well. Now think, for example, about um, uh, tunnels, right? When you do tunnel resolution, uh, so a simple thing, you originate a TCP connection. Well, it originates on some line card now if this line card falls down, I mean, where's the state of the TCP if you push it out of the line card? So you may choose to replicate the state to multiple line cards but because you know if you lose a line card, the other line card starts to pick up as being the TCP origination. Um, different tunneling technologies, the same problems, and so on. Well, I mean, even, even pushing the rib and the fib down to the line card is Correct, a, yeah, is absolutely, right? I mean, think about that stuff, right? I mean, those are, certain of the things are slices, but certain things you replicate everywhere, right? Uh, uh, virtual interfaces, all, all kind of stuff. So this thing is very useful when you do any kind of state reconciliation within the chassis. And multicast is just one of those things, right? And it depends right. how well you, you want to do it. You do a single stage, you can do even a two-stage replication, you do chaining, all kinds of things, but you end up with those fabric things that, you know, and, and the need comes up fairly quickly to get information to changing set of receivers, right? Just like beer does where per packet, you can basically drive right. a set of receivers. 
We right. Which is so, kind so, of very unique for if you look right. at all the other IP multicast technologies. Yeah. Right. So then what happens is, is if you think about that internal fabric becoming something like a data center switching fabric, like cloth fabric or something, yeah. then you externalize that into a data center and you actually optically cable it. Now you have all those same problems, which you have them in a larger, like in a larger space. And so if you look at PIM and you think about PIM on a spine and leaf network of any kind, whether it's a cloth or whether it's a binase or whatever, you start thinking about where, where am I doing replication, right? How do I actually replicate packets on yes. this fabric? It's a and very core, hard problem. Core placement is a very difficult problem, which you yeah, probably- it's a very difficult problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so this is where beer starts to come in, right? So is this like, so going back again, you know, is it kind of like the driver was thinking about these kinds of problems with, with packet replication and moving from, if you think about, PIM, it seems like to me, it's more of a, a control plane driven replication mechanism, whereas BEER seems like it's more receiver driven. Is that like what you would mm. think about it in those terms or you, would you put it differently? I don't know. I cannot parse that particularly well, but you know, yes, PIM is of course very control plane heavy because it's, it's building a tree, right? Which BEER uh, in its simplest instantiation does not have to, right? It just relies on unicast to forward, but we're not limited by that. Um, you know, I, I was interested in multicast only very long time ago. Um, and then when PIM happened, I kind of lost any interest. I didn't think that would particularly scale. I thought, you know, the protocol is too dynamic. The soft state was very problematic. Um, I mean, it was the idea at this time. Uh, so I, I was kind of ignoring multicast. So when I saw beer, um, and they were talking about the out, uh, IP multicast, yes, I mean, MVPN is of course an elegant technology. I mean, I looked at that and I thought this is fine, but no, the core doesn't scale. So you cannot sell the service at you know, large scale. But when I looked at beer, what I saw was a possibility to build a replicating fabric, which is completely IP independent, just like MPLS by now is doing all kind of uh, no, mildly unnatural stuff like carrying L2 frames. Well, arguably, why not, right? It's a switching fabric. So I saw the possibility to uh, generalize beer into a replicating fabric if you want. Um, and that I think has a potential to be huge from multiple dimensions. Uh, so IP multicast overlays just one instantiation of what you can do with it. But if you think about, for example, distributed algorithms, what's going on, we have massive amount of quorum buildings. Um, I hope that that parses, uh, but basically you end up uh, well, think, think, about, think about Hadoop jobs, right? Or doing MapReduce and yeah. or even a, even a blockchain, right? Even in the blockchain. Yeah, where you have a lot of different systems trying to communicate and come to Correct. a consensus over what's going on. Yes, and, and they, 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 the set of receivers is always changing, right? These quorums are, are extremely dynamic. So running the stuff over traditional IP multicast groups uh, you know, will not scale particularly well. So when you get a fabric like that and you start to drive from the sender, maybe that's what you meant by the receiver-driven or sender-driven technology, mm -hmm. uh, right. where you as a sender can determine every time whom you're hitting with the replicating traffic, you can start to build you know, very fast version of distributed algorithms. And for better or for worse, we're going massively into distributed computation all of a sudden. Well, it might be worth taking a step back and talking about the beer packet 
and how sure. the decision is made to, to replicate it. Oh, I it's, forgot it's a, to print it out. I knew this question would come out. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, we can always pull up RFC <laughs> and start to look at all those fields. I think uh, Russ's point was that, I think what I, what I heard Russ was trying to say was that um, the packet contains who you are sending it to as a bit field. Right. And that allows the switch or the router to make the right decision quickly about what about what interfaces to shove the data out right uh, co correct yes so so, uh, so so just tell us what beer means b i what is it bit indexed uh, explicit replication it doesn't mean anything See? it's just a good acronym uh, <laughs> okay so since it's just a good acronym one, one of my cool. biggest contribution to beer i think was that i forced i think it was the discussion was with ice i forced them to change the acronym twice until it was something we could sell uh, <laughs> oh, look. And be yourselves. What's, what's the saying about ITF? The beautiful thing about, you know, uh, standardized technologies is that we have so many of them. Um, <laughs> well, look, it used to be in all this extremely difficult stuff where you got some kind of consensus and a couple of people, you know, put their careers on building it. We have a marketplace now, right? I mean, look how many technologies coming out from all kinds of different forums. And you have open source coming in and, you know, uh, techno you know uh, companies building proprietary technology, open sourcing the stuff and pushing them as, you know, the thing to do. So, no, part of the competition is marketing. Well, what's marketing? I mean, it's a good acronym, right? Something <laughs> on a t-shirt, you know, like t-shirt. Very important part. Almost more important than quality of the specs by now. I think, uh, yeah, well, let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so t tell us how a router switches a beer packet, going back to Donald's question, because this might give a little more context about what a replicating fabric is. You're talking about a replicating fabric. Sure. So, so if you if you look at the beer packet, um, so let me start from the top architecturally. I think what is the most elegant stuff. <clears throat> so, so the beer uh, carries inside a next protocol header. So you can carry anything in beer. So you can carry MPLS in beer. You can carry beer in beer, right? Um, and the encapsulation on the outside is Donald's thinking, thinking lemons and limes. No, I was actually thinking like you get, you know, what's the, 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 the alcoholic drink that you put the, the shot inside of beer and then you drink it. That's what I was thinking about. I was, I was I lazy, you know, like there's this avian carrier, April 1st. <laughs> we were about to write an April 1st, like, beer in bottles and beer in cans and so on. And like, <laughs> what can you carry beer over? You know, what, what can you carry in beer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, so, so there's a next header. <laughs> well, but I mean, that makes it architecturally very, very clean, right? So we can, inside we can carry something which has a service label and so on. Now outside, think about um, it, that it carries something which is akin to a very complex MPLS label, which allows you to understand which interfaces to switch uh, uh, to to send copies from. Now, that's of so course bit the whole. Sorry, right? It's bit index, so it's actually a bit index. It's yeah, a bit of course. So, so it's not a label. It was just an analogy, yes. right? You have this right. magic label where you can push copies out the right interfaces. So it's like a replicating label which in a sense we already have, if you think about, for example, point-to-mother-point uh, point RSVP, but this thing carries um, something much more complex, which is like you say, a bit mask of receivers. 
And what happens inside the router is something, no, the analogy, analogy holds pretty well, something like a longest prefix match for, for this kind of bit masks. And what you end up with is the copies going out the right interfaces with the change bit mask, basically um, uh, what you call it, representing what kind of receivers do still have to be reached once you send a copy out of this interface. So that allows us to uh, allows us to um, scale the state very nicely because we basically end up with these relatively small tables. Um, and the interesting discussion is, of course, of how many receivers can you carry on a packet. So we played a couple of tricks there. But you know, in a wider sense, that's how beer works. Yeah. And then you know, well, we have TTL and OAM and a bunch of other goodies, which you know are, are a, a deeper drill in. Yeah. So where did this come from? I mean, you talk about this packet format and bit indexing, and you said before there was this concept before of doing this for multicast, and there was work before that. So tell us a little bit about that work and how it led up to the, the concept of beer being uh, this replicating fabric. So I was aware that Nancy Feldman, that it was IBM times, and a bunch of other people were trying to stick all kinds of things on the packet as a receiver said. So first IP addresses, of course the overhead was prohibitive, um, then they were talking about labels. I mean, that doesn't save you anything. It's still four bytes. And then there was a bunch of PhDs done and still being done. For example, someone at UCL was uh, chewing my ear off on something called, I think, 2x6, x6, where they basically tried to encode the multicast tree on a packet, like where does it branch and so on. Uh, so I think the key insight, and I mean, I, I'm not attributing any of that stuff to myself because Largely the technology, I think the, the drivers of the ideas what came out of Cisco, so around like ICE, right? Um, uh, the, I think the key insight was, so I mean the insight was around that you could represent a receiver by a bit, but now the problem is it's still too big, right? If you have 60,000 receiver, 100,000 receiver, how do you stick it on a packet? So some people failed on that. Then this idea was evolved farther and thought through like even for smaller set of receivers, the math is actually very elegant and quite simple when you work it out, but non-trivial to work it out uh, because beer doesn't have RPF. So this flipping of these bits correctly and building those tables is a non-trivial exercise. Uh, well, to figure out, once you figure it out, it's blindingly obvious, right? To the point where you go like, why didn't anyone figure that, that, that one out before? So I already kind of saw this math pretty well cooked out. The NCAPS was still in very early stages and it was very limited. So that went through a couple of, um, uh, what do you call it, iterations. And you know the control plane needed uh, much more flexibility and so on. But this bit flipping on off, uh, the idea, that was brought to me already largely cooked, uh, frankly. So I saw it already when it was evolved in the sense, the very, very core of, of the idea itself, yeah. Okay, so what happened from there? I mean, you just went to the ITF and said, let's just start a working group and it all just went from there. Uh, well, <laughs> no, no, not really. I think it took about a year where we were um, converging and one part of the, of the convergence, uh, the, the so one was of course that um, the control plane, the applicability has to be made wider because it's, it's a big ask on the silicon. Uh, so that was the first part. And I think those discussions went very well. Eric Rosen got involved at a certain point in time. 
um, I pushed in a couple of directions. More and more people got involved because one, frankly, one, one big application I saw for the staff was BUM on EVPN, right? Um, EVPN stop, is- uh, Stop for a second. Yes, you say BUM for EVPN. Who, who's gonna recognize that? So we need maybe to explain that. Yeah, I know you do, Donald. But. Right. So for better or for worse, uh, for better, uh, we are running L2 over L3. Yeah, that's called EVPN, right? After Trill has proven to be a dead end. Um, for reasons, actually, I cannot judge particularly well. So the EVPN, which is basically L2 over L3, works really well. I know, Russ, you're not in love with it, and you don't think much of it. And we can dispute <laughs> another, the sanity no, of top of upper layers, but by now, I mean... No, no, no. I like some parts of it, but some parts of it are a little bit like, really? <laughs> we had to do that. <laughs> yeah, I know, really. You know, yeah. <laughs> you look at all active multi-homing. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that's something that customers really dig and it really improves it compared to running the L2 directly. Uh, you know, VLAN stretches, some of the people just, you know, throw themselves off the roofs. Uh, things like, you know, V-motion and so on cause this problem and the problem is real for a large set of people. So. Assuming that we have enough justification, because now the market is quite large, to run uh, L2 over L3, the EVPN has turned out, which is basically BGP synchronizing all the state all over the place, and yeah. then the tunnels doing all the L2 forwarding. Um, one problem that layer two always hits you with is, of course, the promiscuous no broadcasting all over the place. And EVPN did their share to try to limit that, but ultimately you can end up with quite a lot of broadcasts. Now, this broadcast is um, nasty in the sense that if you're running a lot of EVPN instances, right, because it's an overlay technology, which means I'm running a lot of virtual L2s, you end up with a core where you have all the PE routers, right, where the services are provisioned, Building all those tunnels. Now, if you try to build all those tunnels per instance of an Ethernet um, segment or substrate, that does not scale well. Even with MPLS, you end up with tons of tunnels. So if you end up with a single tunnel, you end up sending a lot of stuff to all the routers all the time. So if you have a lot of EVPN instances sitting on top, which are maybe just provisioned on a small subset of PEs in your core, you end up still flooding all the PEs. So um, you are between the rock and the hard place. Now, if you build a beer substrate, beer allows you per packet to set, a, uh, to set the set of receivers, which makes it, uh, uh, if you're more of a multicast gig, and I think the PMSI, PMC, if that means anything, provide a multicast service uh, interface, yeah. right? So it's basically an abstract concept of, okay, I, I want a tunnel, and this tunnel can be unidirectional, bidirectional, it can be inclusive, which means when I send on it, everybody on the tunnel receives it, or selective. So somehow only a set of people get it. Um, so you can think about beer as a very um, uh, surprising technology that can give you a PIMC, which is bidirectional, inclusive, and selective at the same time. So I can use it for broadcast. I just flip on all the bits, which has right. its value. Or if I know that I only have to address a certain set of receivers where, for example, the service is provisioned, I only flip on those bits for those PEs. So all of a sudden, the, the so BAM is broadcast and non-multicast, which is basically where internet just shoots off a, a, a broadcast for practical purposes. We can now limit this broadcast over, in a sense, a single 
tunnel to just the right set of receivers. Um, and, this, and this is using a beer substrate. So this yeah. actually drove the use case. This was a use case that drove beer. I, I think it being, was a, a very valid use case beside MVPN. Um, uh, yes, correct. So the, the technology needed you know, generalizing. Now, given that the amount of use cases started to pile up, so there were other use cases, um, uh, the question was, will the silicon people do that? Uh, because this is, I mean, I'm, I'm just making analogies, which basically means I'm lying through my teeth, hoping to <laughs> talk, right? That's how you sell technology. So, so before you say that, though, I think this is an interesting point, that a lot of people have the idea that the ITF, when you bring a technology to the ITF, people look at it and go, oh, that's cool, we'll just do that. That's how we do a lot of that. Oh, we do a lot of that. We do a lot of that. That's why we meet every three months and we get nice dinners and everything. I mean, we have to get <laughs> going, right? But sometimes we have to deliver stuff that actually sells. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, so, but I think a lot of the point here is that the use cases were building up. And I think that's a really important point is that it wasn't just random stuff. It was actually there were use cases being driven by vendors because their customers wanted something. So Correct. I mean, so yeah. there was a lot of, I mean, some of the stuff was actually very actively dri driven by customers looking for some kind of solution. There was a lot of customer <clears throat> interactions, understanding how they would, you know, apply that. Will the limitations of the technology be good enough? Will, you know, the properties of the technology be sexy enough for those guys to pick it up? But then <coughs> ultimately you also have to bake sand, right? So, Baking sand is a very expensive proposition. I don't know what, even what an AC run is at this point in time. 2000, it was you no know, just just the first run to give it a shot was 400 grand, right? So that better pace in volume and the complexity has to be contained. I mean, we cannot just pile, so we can pile enormous amount of silicon onto ASICs today, um, but those are not CPUs. For every gate you put on, you need real estate and you have to power this thing, right? right. Uh, we don't switch this thing if you don't use a, 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 a feature. We, we may get there, but you know, took Intel, what, 30 years and a revenue stream, which is absolutely outstanding. So you have to justify putting those gates on, uh, onto ASICs um, uh, with you know, enough future potential. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, Greg, me, um, spent probably nine months to a year with the major ASIC vendors, you know, ma major silicon people, trying to convince them that first that it could be built, second that it will be profitable enough, but also third that it has enough uh, potential for differentiation for, for the ASIC vendors to be able to, you know, to position themselves in the market at different design points. Because uh, don't forget that if you have a technology that commoditizes enormously fast, right, and everybody just races to the bottom price-wise, price that it itself uh, loses lots of appeal for people where building this thing uh, causes, you know, very real research and development costs, right, that they have to recuperate. So yeah. those discussions were happening over nine to 12 months and we kind of dragged three, four major silicon people first to convince them that it can be done. And second, that it is an interesting, profitable proposition. And once the silicon people didn't say no all the time and the customers generate enough pressure, then this kind of stuff starts to congeal. I mean, of course you need a working group that doesn't descend very quickly into 
uh, you know, political catfighting. Uh, so you need some kind of a productive process where uh, people trust each other to the point where they build uh, a working consensus because ultimately uh, all this standardization is a consensus, which means we don't look for the best technical solution very often. We look for a solution everybody can agree on, right? Which, which means pick up your beer glass over there. <laughs> which means buying a lot of those. Everybody agrees on. That's my directory. Like, look, motherhood, motherhood apple pie has been done, but who can disagree with beer? <laughs> so, okay, so the working group was formed what year? What year was the working group formed? Do you remember? Uh, don't I don't remember about that. three years ago, three and a half years ago. So, this is probably the fastest one going from experimental to standards track. Yeah, we were, you know, the, the momentum was very good. Um, I was skeptical whether we get the buff um, and, you know, whether we, we get to the working group formation that went actually surprisingly well. I think also we had an excellent AD. I mean, Alia was very supportive. Uh, she's the right kind of crazy, right? That's what so, I was going to say. And she knows how to make things happen, man. She's, she is like incredible at just getting things done yeah but also you know you need the, the, the you, you you know how to hurt the cats when to give them leash and when to spank them to get them in line right and <laughs> i mean beer is a risky proposition i mean it was it was it was quite a risky idea quite a novel idea i mean it it uh, now lots of people look at the stuff and validated it but when it was starting I mean, I took, beside myself redoing the whole math, I took actually two PhDs and let them redo the math because I thought if we pour that into sand and stuff shows up, you know, in sense that, that the whole thing doesn't work, man, I mean, I'll have an ostrich egg on my face, right? So, um, <laughs> it, I mean, someone like Aliyah leaning out and actually giving us the rope was, you know, there was a decent amount of risk, yeah. Yeah, cool. So now the, the working group was formed, you've gotten the sand. So I assume that uh, that people are actually baking this into the chips now, or into chips. Yeah, oh, chip yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, it's it's in different stages, but yeah, sand is available. Um, of course, you know, stuff is proprietary. It's a high-value proposition. Um, in, see, the question is, will the demand drive the stuff fast enough so we get chips and abundant silicon? And that's, that, that is not a very controllable exercise. Just look at MPLS, right? MPLS in the data centers. I talked to them five years ago. The excuse is there was no silicon. I talked to them two years ago. The excuse was, well, we don't have a Linux kernel support for MPLS. I talked to them last year. The excuse is we don't have real use cases. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bro. literally, literally, you know. <laughs> so, so really, you know, the... <clears throat> adoption of the technology, <clears throat> I think, is the least controllable part. So we understand that certain segments will pick it up and it will be justified to build a technology, but whether that this will become, you know, um, the, the Swiss Army knife for replicating fabrics or not, that's pretty much in the stars and that, that will depend on, on many, many factors, yeah. Well, I mean, you gave it a good start by giving it a good name. Right, that's with a new control, right? And then certain things, you know, I, I know, people start to do their PhDs on it. Some universities are working on, on, on interesting problems. Um, uh, I, I think one of the key things will be whether we get the stuff into Linux with some decent API applications can pick up easily. We try to drive it with Greg, but you know, this is open source and the Linux foundation is like herding cats square, right? So 
You, you have the right person sitting over here with the iron shirt on. Yeah, so, you know, he knows everything about it. <laughs> I dealt with them. And the networking crowd within the Linux Foundation is yet another, you know, particular crowd from my experience. So I talked to, um, what's his name? The guy who used to be Microsoft, excellent guy, deep into Linux networking stack. No, Jamal, Jamal, right? Jamal, yes. Yeah, yeah. So we had a beer and, you know, yeah, you know, and we talked a little bit about the beer. He told me about his own. Travis trying to get something into the Linux kernel. We talk about the fact that they finally discovered that Recif next sub resolution is not a complete idiocy, but the only thing they implemented is that they resolved the recursive next stop when they installed the route and never after. So they're like, yeah, okay, that's what you can get, you know. <laughs> the reality that that's been fixed, right? And there's, there's, and oh, the, it did it? Okay, yeah, fine. So, you know, we and all. The, and the, the next thing the Linux kernel's doing, they're actually going to, um, put um, next top groups. So you'll have one next top group and all the routes will point at that one and then it will reduce the size of the Linux kernel by a- Okay, so I, no, I, I remember having those discussion with them probably 10 years ago and I was dismissed by no one will ever need recursive resolution for anything whatsoever, especially in a host. You know, so yeah, so it's good to hear. So you know- this Things are starting to be resolved there, yeah. Yeah, so, you know. Uh, I, so, the, so the future of beer is to get it into that, into Linux. And then another thing is, is to go back to this idea of data center fabrics. Because I think a lot of people are going to data center fabrics that are more class oriented or Benets or something like this. That it's coming out of the hyperscalers and moving. Um, sure, like yeah. The word enterprise. But, you know, it's moving down into the smaller operator networks. Um, and not even smaller, like. You know, AT&T is not a smaller network necessarily than a hyperscaler, but... Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, so that's yet a completely different discussion. Now, uh, the problem is once you're moving into the data center fabric, and I think that this is quite fundamental, um, and that doesn't even have to do with beer. The question is, do you want a replicating technology on a fabric? Because the fabric, uh, fundamentally, the, 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 um, I think the most profound appeal of a fabric versus some strip some cables together in random you know, networking order like we all love to do, is that you start to control your blocking probabilities, right? So you understand right. your subscription rate and so on and so on. The moment you let some kind of a multicast replication on the fabric, you let it loose, it, we have no math for it. It becomes exceedingly difficult to control, you know, your, your blocking over on the Instead, what is being done on a very massive scale right now is basically ingress replication, which for all practical purposes is much worse than whatever you can do building oh, yeah. a replicating fabric into the, fa uh, into the DC, you uh, know, the, 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 the clause. Right. But I uh, you know those discussions are, um, I, 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 there, there's, there's no satisfactory resolution and we'll see which way it will go, right? Yeah, interesting. I, I think yeah. it really is of the fact, if you give people an easy way to consume it, like a Linux socket that allows them beer control in a very simple fashion, people will just jump on and start to write application because it's so much simpler to try to build your own replicating overlay, right? Yeah, That's right, right. So, so, so now my next question is, when are we gonna replace IBGP with beer? <laughs> yeah, so see, so there are interesting discussions. Yes, of course. So, uh, uh, well, look, nothing wrong with that, right? I, I, you, know, you, would, you would have to give up your 
extremely lovable feature like next top self on IBGP and so on, right? You know what I talk about. And your beautiful route reflectors. I mean, yeah. he just loves configuring route reflectors. Correct. So, <laughs> I mean, we have, we have a problem of I, I, IGP floodings. Um, uh, yes, we could do IBGP games, right? I mean, uh, absolutely valid. Um, we could, you know, tier IBGP off TCP. These kind of things have been talked about. Um, I consider this kind of stuff niche applications. I mean, entertaining, um, surely beneficial, but in terms of what is the volume uh, of, you know, application like that, it's relatively small. You know, I'm, I'm more interested in, uh, I think the future, immediate future of beer are services. You know, Maltecast still sells. Uh, the volume as always was not large. Now, the volume was not large, I think, because it was a mixture between Maltecast is not easy and it was not easy to consume and the core didn't scale. Yeah. If we can scale something like MVPN as cheaply as L3 VPN, people get used to the concept. And, you know, MVPN works very well also in, you know, like uh, interdomain stitching and so on. Those problems yeah. are solved maybe people will start to consume that and drive the volume of multicast uh, traffic up and build more services over that. But I basically see the services um, as the immediate future uh, of people consuming multicast. Um, you know, the, the certain things like uncompressed video going towards 4K, 8K are driving absolutely insane volumes of uh, data. Uh, that should put some pressure on the network. Um, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Cool. Well, Tony, I think we're at like 45 minutes, so maybe we should wrap up and uh, uh, call it a, a night. I don't know. It's not night for you. It's still day. Uh, no, for me, it's late afternoon, you know. It's late afternoon. That's because you're on the, the left coast. Uh, <laughs> I'm on the right coast. No, I'm the left coast. Well, it depends how you look like. <laughs> so cool. Well, thanks for coming on. And Tony, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Do you blog any place? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> time for that, man. I mean, you find Between one a, a LinkedIn quip from me, you know, <laughs> uh, you, 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 one of the five people I connect to on Facebook, you see me maybe once, you know, every three weeks. Um, no, I don't have a Facebook account. So. <laughs> if, if you want to get hold of me, the simplest is go look at IETF, some working group that I'm involved in, and some drafts, or otherwise I'm PRZ, which is Papa Romeo Zulu in the, you know, in the alphabet at juniper.net. So that's kind of the simplest to ping me. Okay, now you have to pronounce your last name for us. Yeah, Shigenda, you just slur it. You just slur it. <laughs> there are some, some dialects where people have to sound, and otherwise, you know, it's not something should be undertaken lightly. I'll be <laughs> That's the joke, right? So, Donald, uh, let's see. Nope, I don't remember. Me not you sharp, is that right? That's me, I'm on Twitter. Okay, cool, me not you sharp. See, I remember that, but you don't blog anyplace. No, I don't. Yeah, I've been trying to see. I'm trying to get on. No, you keep bugging me, and it's just I'm programming. I program. Yeah, you could just write. You could just write code blogs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Interviewer talker, pick two, right? That's the easiest thing. Pick two, right? I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. If you think and you do, uh, you know the talking is you know limited. <laughs> Thanks so much, Tony. Yeah, I, I need to work on it. I'll work on it. 
So cool. All right. And you can find me at the Network Collective. I'm Russ White. You can find me at the Network Collective at rule11.tech. Any old time, you find me on LinkedIn and don't ping me on Twitter. I don't answer my Twitter. It's like my voicemail used to say at Cisco, don't leave me a voicemail. Just don't. Don't even bother. Because I'm not going to answer it. I, I, had, I had a Russian coach once, a, a Russian guy, and his answering machine was saying, if you want to leave a message, you know what you have to do. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. All right. So we'll talk to y'all guys y'all later and um, have fun. And thanks for coming on History of Networking. Always a pleasure, man. Excellent podcast. Thank you.